Welcome to another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Uh, today I have Towdy Meyer. It goes by Tag, though. So Tag Meyer, he's a former financial executive. He was fired for not mandating the jab to his employees. So he made a big life decision to take freedom back in his life. To do this... Uh, he and his wife moved off-grid to an awesome, awesome home. They live with absolutely no tie to the utility grid whatsoever. They produce their own water, power, large portion of their food. He's building a YouTube channel called Life Done Free. Great dude, and we'll have him on in just a minute. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day today. First up, BulkAmmo.com. I have been telling you for, I guess, ever about as long as I've been doing this show, that the first thing that dries up on the supply side in the firearms industry when you start having more talk about gun grabbing is ammo. It goes quicker than guns. And so that means you need to stock up. place to do it is BulkAmmo.com. Their pricing is amazing. Their shipping is fast. And they have just about everything you can be looking for, especially when we're talking about the common calibers that all of us shoot, 308, 223, Five five six seven six two. Call it whatever you want to. Right, nine millimeter, forty Smith and Wesson, all that stuff. Place to find it is bulkammo.com. Remember, they do a discount for MSB members as well, and they are a long term sponsor. They've been with us over a decade, guys. That is a that is a forever in the world of podcasting. Next up today, uh, JM Bullion. I am all for stacking silver along with stacking sats. I have never come off my view that. 5% of your net wealth should probably be in silver and or gold, and I'm comfortable up to about 10%. And that's, you know, my allocation is about 5 And the place to get your uh, silver or gold or silver and gold is going to be JM Bullion. And I say this all the time, and I wanted to throw out some props for JM right now. So recently I had a, a member of the MSB and uh, our audience that put in an order for $35,000 worth of silver from JM Bullion. And JM Bullion, at least one of their employees, did let 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 things fall where they shouldn't have. There was a small amount of that silver that was missing from the order when it got there. It looked like it had been stolen in transit. And somebody at JM told this individual, your case is closed. I wasn't about having that. And I sent an email off to Michael, who's the president over there. And I said, I need an answer on this. This is not acceptable. I didn't hear back over a weekend, which was highly unusual. I emailed again on Monday, and he said, I'm so sorry. I did not get your email. And um, he, he, he had it rectified that day. That's what I've been selling with J.M. Bullion. Not that there would never be a, a ball drop. Not that there would never be a problem. But that if there was, I can get to the man upstairs and, and find out the answer. And, and get something done about it when the customer's right. And I don't always assume the customer's right. But in this case, it seemed very clear that the customer was right. And it got taken care of. And, and this is why I've told uh, Monex and Lear Capital both, who have both approached me about sponsorship of this podcast, no. Can I talk to your CEO, your president, someone at that level, if there's a problem? No, we have customer service for that. I'm sorry. 
I do business with smaller companies for a reason, so that I can get this type of remedy done for you. So you get great pricing, same silver and gold, for the same or less money, and you get assurance that if there is a problem, it's going to be handled. Jambullion.com. And you get a discount. Who does that in silver and gold? No one. But I do it for you. So check out your MSB if you haven't done so yet. With that, let's go ahead and drop into the live feed. And, folks, we are live yet again. I have a special guest today, Towdy, but we all call him Tag Meyer. And we're going to talk about going off grid. Yes, and uh, Did we have some feedback there, Tag? Did you? I, t- I took care of it. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to talk today about going off grid. And, and basically, I said, screw you guys. I'm going off grid like Eric Cartman uh, from uh, – from what the hell is it now? Um, South Park, right? Because mm-hmm. what happened to Tag was he was a financial executive and the clot shot came around and he was mandated to do it himself, but he was also told to mandate it to his employees. And he said, screw this. And they said, well, screw you. So he said, screw everybody. And he went off grid and he's building yeah. a life uh, and he calls it Life Done Free is his YouTube channel. Uh, Tag Dude, welcome to uh, the show and thanks for joining us to tell your story today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I was, uh, you know, telling you before, I was, I have listened to hundreds of your podcasts in my ear <laughs> while working on some project somewhere, and so uh, it's an honor to be here. And thank you very much. Well, like I said, thanks, thanks for coming on and talking to us. Dude, give us your background. Like, how did this exactly go down? I mean, I just gave the the snippet yeah. of it, but you're doing your job. You know, where are you living? Where are you working? And how how does that go down with you ended up, you know, exiting? Uh, not completely by your own choice, uh, and 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 how's that lead you to where you are now and taking a stand? Yeah, so uh, I spent my career really the last 25 years in helping startup companies form. So basically, I would go out and do their stock offerings. You know, I'd raise you know 20 million, 100 million, whatever it was, and I, I've done a bunch of them. Well, this one particular company I signed on with um, to raise 30 million dollars, and um, I raised it. They ended up offering me a position. I stayed. It was fine. Everything was great. And then you know, come the you know, the thing. And I got an email one day from the CEO and he said, Hey, how do you feel about me mandating, you know, the uh, Fauci algae? <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm not supportive in any way and I won't comply. And that's just that. And um, I kind of hoped that it would go away. About another week went by and I got another email that said, we are now going to mandate it for the entire company and you have 30 days to get everybody to comply. And I went home okay. and said, babe, said, babe, this is where it ends. And so, uh, Basically, he uh, called about another week went by and uh, he sent me another email asking me the status. I told him the status. He erupted, said I was a horrible leader. I could not continue my position. He expected more. And um, that was kind of the end of it. And and, uh, so I decided right there that, you know, I'm not going to be a slave to the system no more. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to take care of myself. And, and, you know, I live in a big, beautiful, you know, 4,600 square foot home, 100 percent off the grid. I produce everything for myself and kind of live in a dream. So I guess they kind of did me a favor. Jack, I guess, you know, that did, did it start out that way? I mean, when you first went off grid, did you kind of build a lot of this stuff yourself or? Yeah, I built it all. I, I, so I paid to have the septic system done and the well, okay. drill. everything else I did myself. Which and, that uh, makes sense. Those yeah. are things you don't want done wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Those two things. I just, I just didn't feel like I had the capacity, you know, to do it. But, uh, but, yeah, so other than that, I did everything else myself with my beautiful bride. I've got pictures of her three stories off the ground putting rock on a fireplace. Coolest thing ever. And there's a lot of ways to 
to get the hell out of civilization, so to say, and, and, and be independent, going off grid is a, is a real extra step. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to just be a hundred percent off grid right from the get go? Yeah. I mean, it's because they broke my heart, Jack, to be honest. You know, when I was going through what I was going through, I just came to the realization that I just got to take control of my own life. You know, I can't wait and think that the world's going to do it for me. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to be a slave to the electric system that says, okay, you can have electricity if your, you know, uh, social credit score is good enough. I'm not going to be a slave to the water company. I'm not going to be a slave to the sewer company. And I took every dime I owned, everything I've been saving for all those years. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to take care of my own. And I did it. And I paid cash for everything. I have not a penny in debt. And uh, yeah, that's why I did it. So what, what's your geography like? So, you know, that all off, oftentimes has a lot to do with power requirements. Um, it's, it's 106 right now where I'm at, and it's about to be, I think our top today will be somewhere in the like 111 range. Yeah. Uh, I find a lot of people that are successful off grid tend to live not quite this deep in the Sun Belt. Yeah. So, um, I'm located in Northeast Kansas is where okay. I live. And, um, but I'm sitting in a room right now. I'm air conditioning blowing on my neck. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I don't live any different than I did before. Other than, you know, you've got, like, if I go through three days of clouds, for example, I have to start worried about what I'm using my energy for. I have to manage it. Okay. Just like the water, I have to manage. You know, I have several different water systems that all work, you know, together. So it just takes more management. That's all it is. But I don't live really that much different than I did before. Gotcha. Gotcha. What does off grid mean to you? A lot of people throw that word around and then you're like, well, that's not really off grid. What is off grid to you? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. This definition has kind of changed, Jack, over the years for me a little bit. You know, originally what I, what I would have told you is off grid just means you're not connected to the grid, which I've successfully done that, right? I have no water bill, no electric bill, no sewer bill. I don't have no trash bill. I don't have any of those things, but the more I search for freedom, the more I realize that we're still super tied in. Right. Because I'm still paying car insurance. I'm still sure. paying homeowners insurance. I'm still paying my taxes. You know, I can't produce an oil filter for my Polaris. So to me, I just kind of go on off grid means I'm not connected to the grid, which I'm not. But I'm still super dependent and I'm not 100 percent free. But, man, I'm going to challenge it every day. Yeah, I think that's no matter what you're doing, that's that's the goal is can I say a month from now, I'm a little less dependent Right. On the system than I was yesterday. Um, right. Let's talk about your solar system here for a minute. What what is like described like the, you know, no, the power generation capacity type of panels? I'm sure you're using battery because you're completely off grid yeah. with that. Yep. Um, and what was the investment to be able to get to that point of energy independence? Yeah, no, no, no problem. OK, so I have 28, 375 watt Canadian uh, solar solar panels. Okay, those are connected to three um, Snyder 6,800-watt inverters that are all linked together. And then beneath them sit 10 Simplify 3.8-kilowatt-hour nickel phosphate batteries. Okay, now there's other things in there like, you know, I have five charge controllers and, you know, there's some monitors and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's basically the... the, the that's the big the money, is the panels, the, the batteries, the inverters, and yeah. the hardware to link them together. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I actually know this to the penny. So I spent right at $53,000 putting my power system in. It's a 21,000 watt system and we've never run it dry. I mean, I've never had a problem. I've got a, a 20,000 watt standby generator that's never been turned on other than its normal monthly cycle that it does by itself. 
we never used it. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So even when you say well, we had a few cloudy days in a row, I got to think about my power usage. Mm-hmm. With that generator, you really don't have to. No. Right, because you you could fire that up at any point, top your bank off, and right. and go from there. That's that's it. Right. But we try to practice it that if you know we're going to be in cloudy days, we have in our home we do green yeah. days, yellow days, and red days. And like on a red day, all it means is that we're not washing clothes. Gotcha. You're just using you're using, TV. you're using really efficient uh, air conditioning. I can tell just because right there behind you, using mini yeah. splits, and that's yeah. that's something we're not off grid here. But I've already really started pricing out that option of because we're on regular old central air and we're in a house that was built in the late seventies. Yep. When interest rates were like eighteen percent on a mortgage and people cut every short corner they could. Yep. Um so there's it's not a well done layout infrastructure. And I'm thinking about doing that. I always tell people going off grid is a great idea if you can make it work. Yeah. But start with efficiency, right? I'm sure you yep. put a lot of efficiency into the home you built. Oh, yeah. So my house is, is super insulated. The concrete slabs underneath it, like what in my living room, for example, sits on 24 inches of concrete because I use the thermal mass of it. You know, it's, I have an engineer buddy of mine who is a high-profile engineer. And he walked into my house one day in July and said, oh, air conditioning. It was the single greatest compliment I ever received because there was no <laughs> air turned on at the time. Oh, wow. And, Best compliment ever, but you were talking about mini splits. So these are Mitsubishi mini splits, and I did a lot of research on what would be the most energy efficient. I have three base units and nine head units through my house. I love it because you can, like, one room I can leave at 85. The next room I'll have at 72 because I'm in it. The next room, you know, so you can control them all individually. It's a great system. I really like it. Yeah, I mean, this house is huge, too. We're 2,500 square foot, and it's a two-story, and, like, I have a, a window unit upstairs in the, in our workout room because even if you, if you run the central air mm-hmm. hard enough to make that room bearable when you're lifting weights, right. downstairs the kids are blue and their teeth are chattering <laughs> and there's ice. I mean, I'm serious. You have to push it to like 60 down here yeah. to get 75 ish up yeah. there, and it's on the west side, so that makes it even worse, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're looking at tightening some stuff up like that. And I, I always tell people that start on efficiency because yeah. if you're going to go off grid, you're going to need to do it. And if you don't get there soon, you're still helping yourself. Yeah, like insulation is the best ROI, I think, on any construction yeah. project. And yeah. there's no better time to do it than when the walls are open. That's right. right. When you did your insulation on your walls, did you what, what type did you do? Like a spray foam, or did you do a cellulose, or what did? Yes, yeah, so I, I have a several different types. So inside, I have two by six construction, okay, um, everywhere, and so I've got a sheet of um, three quarter inch foam, you know, with the silver backing on the outside. The walls are packed with R thirty insulation. I'm talking about the exterior wall, right? It's packed with R thirty insulation. And then I've got another three-quarter inch foam with uh, the foil back on the inside of it. And then every seam is taped and, and you know, all of that. And it, it does great. You know, the windows, I bought the best windows I could buy because, um, you know, you're going to leak a lot, of, a lot of energy, you know, out your windows. So, but, yeah, energy is everything. And, and energy efficiency is everything. The other thing I would say is your eaves and overhangs. You know, if you slope everything just right, you can block out the summer sun but yet let the winter sun in. You, know, you can use that passive you know, heating and cooling. And so I think that helps a lot too. Yeah, I would agree with that. As bad as this place is, it faces due south. And we have, we have a real high energy cost in our summer with our heat. 
mm-hmm. but we have a really low heating cost mm-hmm. in in winter because that low sun angle, and we yeah. put in huge windows, and that just lets so much heat yep. in. And uh, we have hard floors, so it really radiates down into the concrete of the floor in the in the winter. So you can do something anywhere, I guess. Um, you are now building a YouTube channel. I think it's mm-hmm. awesome. I think everybody should sub to it. I'm going to bring it up on screen here while you answer this question. Um, but what made you decide, I mean, to, to do this as a YouTube channel? Because I think a lot of people that have never done uh, YouTube work or creative work or what have you um, in, in, in their projects, they look at what we do when we do put stuff up online. And they say, well, you're doing it anyway. I'm sorry, I didn't get your YouTube channel. I'll get that in a second. But you're doing it anyway. So you just film it. And I can tell you right now, it is five times more work to do a project and film it as you're doing it than it is to just do the project. It, yes. The filming <laughs> it's one thing and then doing it's another thing. But doing the two together, it's like one and one, like two, they make like five. Yeah. So wh- why are you putting that effort in? And I'll get this switched around here in a second. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was so interesting for years and years and years. I did not post what I really felt on like Facebook or social media because I was trying to protect the companies that I worked for. I was worried about their image. I didn't want, you know, them to get any negative backlash because I'm fairly set in my ways. Right. I mean, I'm wearing a we the people shirt. So but once that all happened to me, I got mad and I said, screw them. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about being free. I'm going to talk about living free. I'm going to talk about standing on our values and I'm going to do it. I really never cared so much about subscribers or, you know, money or any, I mean, I got, you know, I'm, I'm fine with all of that stuff. I just really wanted to spread the message of living free. And this just kind of gave me a, a medium, you know, to be able to go out there and do that. It's been fun. I'll tell you a thing too. I've been hearing a lot about people, um, having issues with subscribing and getting unsubscribed mm-hmm. to my channel. Yep. I have never had it happen to me where I was on. This morning I looked up your channel. I subscribed. I hit the little bell. <laughs> and when I pulled it back up to have it ready for this podcast, guess who was not subscribed to your channel? So yep. folks, here's this channel link. And I'm going to say, if you find a YouTuber, whether it's tag me or anybody, and you like their content and you want to subscribe to it, if you subscribe to it, go back and check and mm-hmm. see if those shenanigans are going on and, and resub and, until it sticks. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of BS they're pulling, but it is, yeah, I just watched it happen. I just, I know I'm not getting early onset Alzheimer's or nothing. <laughs> I know I sub to it. I know I hit the little bell and 30 minutes later, it wasn't there anymore. So folks do that. Um, and thank you for documenting it, because I think the more we show people how to do this, mm-hmm. the more people will do this, and it really mm-hmm. inspires folks. And uh, I'm going to also ask you another question, and when I ask it, I'm going to disappear for a second, but I'll be right back. So I know you can carry on. I know you're a processing yeah. your videos. i got to go let the damn dog in, uh, mm-hmm. but because uh, there's nobody else here today. But uh, tell people what you're prepping for, because you have a lot of prepper mentality in this. And yes. I'll be back in 30 seconds. Yeah, you bet. You know, I actually believe that all prepping ends in homesteading. And I, you know, originally was started out, you know, prepping. And, um, you know, as you look at the world around us, you know, our, our fiscal policies, our, you know, the stuff going on overseas, you know, just the, the mandates, the, you know, the taxes. And I just think we're in this, you know, perfect uh, storm. 
And um, so I no longer, as, as you know, the evolution of, of, you know, prepping has gone on. You know, I really no longer prep for one single thing. I think the world's a mess. And um, I'm just really trying to take care of my family who are everything to me. So I guess to answer the question, you know, I think the world is crashing around us. And I think we just got to kind of take care of our own. Um, Jack, what I was saying earlier is, you know, when I first started prepping, you know, back in 19, oh, goodness, 93. I've been at it a long, long time. It was about storing, you know, Band-Aids and bullets. Yep. But, but I think all prepping ends at homestay. And I it's just, my, just kind of my natural evolution. So today, I don't really even pay attention to it all that much. What I do is try to be free. And I think if I can be free, produce my own, I'm going to be able to withstand, you know, a lot. Yeah, I was just at a, a meetup event last night. It was about Bitcoin, but it seems mm -hmm. like that world and homesteading are just more and more plowing mm -hmm. into each other. And a couple of people there were aware of who I was from my work with TSP. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one said, you know, I, I, I like the idea of prepping, but I don't have a bunker and I don't think I ever will. Mm -hmm. And we, we had a conversation. I'm like, I think bunkers are stupid. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm not saying if I could easily with the rock here, it's hard, but if I could easily put an underground shelter in so I didn't get killed by a tornado, mm -hmm. I, I'm fine with that. But when they talk about real bunkers, like you've seen these things, you know, they're giant tanks, basically, and they make this. You look at the installation cost, you're talking like a million dollar and up project. And the reason I think that's stupid is I can do a lot for, more for lifestyle resilience and freedom with a million dollars of capital than put a tube in the ground to go hide in. Like I, I look at like here's how I deploy the capital on it. You know, I could put in my own damn compound. I could put in multiple projects, renting tiny houses out or something like that on other pieces of property, and that's going to and that's going to give me an income. It's going to build equity. It's going to give me tax advantages. Putting a tube in the ground does not make me more free. Right. And 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 the odds that the I don't know the hell's angels are going to come get me when the zombies <laughs> march are pretty low. Yes, but the odds I'm going to need to be able to feed myself and my family and my livestock and my dogs and some, a little bit, at least for my neighbors, are rather high right now, in my opinion. At least if – I don't know that people will starve, but I don't know that they'll eat the way that they want to eat right. either. That's that's a bigger thing to me. Like food has traditionally been used as one of the major mechanisms of control by tyrants. Mm -hmm. Food, money, though, and, and, and ability to move. Those, that's like the trifecta of, of tyranny for control it is food movement uh, and economics. And if you look at what just happened with the whole COVID thing, you, you got easy two of those three, right? right. But I, I would say that it even did impact the food supply a great deal, and they've definitely seemed to ramp up the whole lingo of you will eat the bugs mm -hmm. since this started. Like I, I hear a lot more of that talk from that side of things. Well, you know, I, I think the, the talk about the economics part, real part, which is, you know, kind of part of my, you know, kind of where I come from. You know, what's interesting to me about it is they everything's becoming more and more out of reach. I mean, I know you go to the grocery store just like I go to the grocery store and, sure. you know, everybody else. And, and you know, I, I was reading an article um, earlier that said um, that a bag of chicken wings, this was from a restaurant, that a bag of chicken wings was $50 and it's now $175. I don't know how long. You know, I, I think that the whole premise of how much money can I make, keep up with the Joneses, bigger, better, all that is kind of a flawed um, policy. I think we're better off trying to wage the war on the backside, you know, backside money versus frontside money. And I won't get into a whole philosophical thing on this. But um, so for me, I'm going to try to create as much as I can on the backside. Right. Be asset rich, income poor. 
than try yeah. to than try to fight the fight on the front side, which is a never ending fight because they're just going to inflate it all out of there anyway. You know, think about regenerative farming. That's the entire mm-hmm. philosophy. I remember mm-hmm. Mark uh, Mark Shepard saying one time he had talked to a guy and the guy had lost like two hundred thousand dollars on his farm the prior year, and he said, "Well, you know what? You'd be ahead right now." If you just took all the seed you had left over, went outside, threw it on the ground, and did absolutely nothing, and if anything happens, you're ahead of losing two hundred thousand dollars by having no inputs. Yeah. And he, he said, now, you know, I cleared up and said that that's not really what I'm advising you to do, but I'm making a point. Your problem is not production or lack of production. Mm-hmm. Your problem is not the price of food that you can get for selling what you produce. Your problem is that your outflows are so excessive compared mm-hmm. to your inflows that you're in the hole, and this is unsustainable. Like, not just environmentally unsustainable, this is economically unsustainable. And that's where I think we need to head um, with our, our activities as a homesteader. So, like, one of the changes I'm going to make with my workshop this year is I'm going to give my speak. I'm going to have less speakers with longer time blocks to mm-hmm. talk more about how to implement things. And I'm bringing, a, I don't know if you know who Billy Bond is, but I'm I bringing do. him. So, Billy, I'm bringing Billy in, uh, and I'm going to give him a long time slot to talk about how they raise chickens in port for almost no cost of input. Yeah. Right? Zero on the chickens, and I think he ends up a quarter a pound on his pork. Uh, I'm going to have Nick talk about, Nick Ferguson talk about fodder mm-hmm. trees at a much deeper level. Basically, dependence from the feed store that is, independence from the feed store that's apocalypse proof. Mm-hmm. And I think, the like you're saying, that's backside money. Yep. It doesn't matter what happens with inflation if you have backside assets. I like, I've never heard that term before, uh, tag. I love that term. Backside money. It's mm-hmm. not real money. It's not taxable. It's, it's right. the ultimate in, in, you know, it's the ultimate nephew money. Yep. Right. It's currency, right? It's yes. your yes. life. Yes. Get me all excited. Yes. Absolutely correct. You know, you can make more money. In my opinion, I can make more money on the backside of an argument, like with against taxes, you know, those other kinds of things, than I can on the front side money investing in Walmart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because one of the things, that, and this is what I've always tried to explain to people, when I hear somebody just straight up financial stuff, and you, know, you have a background in this, and my financial advisor made me 13% on my portfolio last year. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say, well, no, so your financial provi- uh, advisor made you about 3%. Right. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, official and this is before the crazy inflation we have now, but official inflation was 3.9%. That's bullshit. It was 10. 10% is the cost of holding capital. You're 3% ahead of that. Your financial advisor made you a 3% real gain, but you're going to pay tax on 13%. Right. Like that's how that, that, that works. And I'm not against having investments. I have investments, but I, I think if that is the only focus that you have, and most people do, I go to work, I do what I'm told. My, my dad used to say, you get an office job, and basically you, you, you put your pencils on the left and your, your, your paper on the right and keep your mouth shut, you keep your job. Yep. And there is some truth to that. And then they have their 401K, and they do whatever the financial liar that comes out once every two years says, and they think, okay, that's I've got Social Security, I've got that, and then they just live their life and they live in debt. And they never think about that term, like, I'm going to steal that shit, dude, uh, backside money. I'm going to steal that yeah. from you. Well, it's not my term. It's not my term. It's just a term I picked up somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to credit you when I can remember, but you don't always ah, remember good. where things come from. Um, 
what started you down this path of prepping? Like, so we talked about how it's more about homesteading and backside money, but what made you decide, like, I need to be prepared? Yeah, um, was back, I was actually a soldier at the time. And so I kind of started again in the early 90s. And, um, you know, I had uh, gotten into a couple conversations with some people who I really looked up to who just were talking about, you know, debt. And we're talking about, you know, how long, in my case, you know, tag, you know, can you keep yourself afloat, you know, if things go weird? And, you know, all the stuff that was going on back then, Somalia and, you know, the warlords, and that had a big impact on me back then. And, and so I started real small. It's actually funny. We have saved the very first prep I ever bought. And it, we still have it. I'd never eat it because it's now, you know, so old, a little can of Vienna sausages. But I've saved it as motivation for all of these years. Because <laughs> it's just one little can of Vienna sausages. So we just started buying a few extra cans. And it really, then that evolved into something a little more and a little more. And then after about 10 or 15 years, I realized that, you know, I didn't have the space. I couldn't, you know, I was living on two acres of land. I really needed to get bigger. If I really wanted to make this sustainable, you know, have cows and have, you know, animals like we do now, I just had to grow it. And um, so we were headed to homesteading regardless of what happened at my work. I just didn't intend it like right then, you know. Um, so that's kind of what got it. It was just the, me being a soldier, seeing what chaos really was, seeing what a warlord really was. Um, and then as the more, once I got out of the army, the more I understood economics, right? Because I got into the, the financial field, but I could tell you deals. I have seen d crooked deals made right and left between, you know, this, this, uh, how do I say this? I don't want to, um, yeah, but between the powers that be in one front and another, I'm like, Oh yeah. my God, you know, this is just insane. Yeah. Um, so it was just a, prog a long progression for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it and, but you've been doing this a lot longer than you've been off grid, right? I mean, you oh, got yeah. into prepping. How long would you say? When would you I, say you became a prepper timeline? Um, well, I really started probably 1993. I probably got serious about it about 95. Okay. So I, I was a prepper for a long, long time. A homesteader, yeah. I've been at it four years. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I. I always tell people I grew up a prepper. We just didn't know that's what it was. Right, right. I mean, you grew up in the, the rural coal region of Pennsylvania in the 1970s and 80s. Your your family is prepper family. Yes. Like you just that you 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 homestead too. Like you, you get to be like, well, you have a garden so I can eat. I mean, it's that blunt. Why do you go hunting so I can eat? How right. big were the antlers? I don't know. I don't care. Can't eat them. They were big enough that the game warden didn't take the deer away. That's, that's the way things were back then. And I think that we're having kind of a circle coming back to that way of life. And I think it's because there is a, there is a sustainable nature to it, both eco, ecologically, but economically as well. When I think back to how actually poor my family was financially, and people talk about it all the time, like my family was poor and I didn't know it. That's because you weren't actually poor. You were economically in poverty, but we were incredibly wealthy. There was never a time there wasn't food on the table. There was never like, well, can, 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 can my friend Heath come over for Sunday dinner? And it's like, no, we don't have enough. Right. It was like, go get a chair, right? We never even thought about it. We gave away food. And I think that that's people, there's an echo of that memory. I think that everybody either has like, in their family that memory or they know someone that they're close to that has that memory. And I think people are, it's kind of like, it's kind of like picking at a thread. And when people start to realize that that's 
where this path leads that they, they try to take at least some steps down it. Not everybody's going to do what you do or I do, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden they're saying, Hey, can you help me put in a garden? That's a, that's a right. great gateway drug is a garden, man. It, right. You get a garden and you actually get it to produce. And next thing you're like, what do I do with all this food that I can't eat right now? Well, now you need to preserve it. And so now you have a, a pantry, right? I mean, I think it's, it's the ultimate gateway. Um, you produce a lot of your food. Can you talk about, what you do there? Is it a livestock garden? Is it both? Yeah. Um, all of the above. So we actually, um, you know, we were trying to create this, this perfect uh, environment out here. So, you know, obviously, you know, we have chickens, we take care of the eggs, you know, and, um, and hatch our own, you know, my wife, uh, always has eggs going, you know, to hatch the next set of birds. So, you know, we take care of that. I, I own some sheep, I own some cows, I own a pig. Um, but my wife's a super green thumb. So she's got a huge garden, you know, she planted, and I don't know if I want to misquote it, but maybe 150 tomato plants, you know, 150 wow. pepper. I mean, so she has a big garden. Yeah. Um, part of my, when we built this place, one of the things she really wanted was a external processing kitchen. So I have a uh, kitchen that's air conditioned and all of those things. That's all stainless okay. steel, you know, that she can go in and process mass quantities of stuff. So she'll can, you know, all of our salsa, spaghetti sauces. She makes cheese, bread, chapstick, lotion, soap. Um, you know, she's a beekeeper. We've got hives. So she uses the honey and the beeswax for a million different things. And, and, um, so I would not say that we are food free, but we're getting closer and closer every single day. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of videos out there on my channel. Yeah. This is an interesting topic. I'm surprised you found this. Well, I, the, I, uh, I love the website. Um, I just deduced it from your email address and, uh, yeah. I think it's definitely something that people should uh, should check out. And yeah, so this, uh, this site, Jack, is under development. Okay, I've got some really good connections to some of the best internet marketers in the world, and buddies of mine who prep with us, who come out and shoot at my farm on my range or whatever it is. And um, so we have got this idea of building this platform, and I don't think we're going to call it Life Done Free. I think we're going to call it um, something like Freesteading or Freesteaders or something like that. But we're going to build this where, where as a creator, we can come in and have direct access to our um, subscribers and the people that we hang out with and, and that we can talk to them so we can maybe get away from some of this shadow banning and some of these other things that are going mm-hmm. on. I have, I have the money put aside, and it's not mine, from a lot of people, yeah. to be able to yeah. build this. And so we're working on it right now to create this alternative place. Yeah, you know, as much as I despise the banning, the shadow banning, the mm-hmm. taking down of posts, by Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. If they only did it in like the mass public side of things, mm-hmm. I would still be pissed, but I would find it acceptable. When I finally just walked from Facebook was when they started doing it inside a private invite only group that I had built and threatened yeah. to take the whole group down. It was about 30,000 yeah. people. Yeah. You literally can't see anything yeah. in that group. Unless you were invited and you want to, and yeah. you and you were approved for membership, and you can leave anytime you want. Yeah. When they start censoring content in a group like that, mm-hmm. that's when I, I just felt it really had gone too far. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that's one, one way or another. We have to continue to build our own private <laughs> communities, and then yeah. if you don't like it, you know how you got here. You do the exact opposite and you're gone. Yep. Or we, we will we will show you the door if you need that, but you're not going to bitch about it or complain about it or terrorize it, right? Um, I think that's uh, I think that's a 
a way, a good way to go. Uh, would you, what would you advise people to do who are going through similar things to what you did? Because there's, there's not as many people losing their jobs over jabs now. That kind of was a big wave that happened, but it's still happening. And there's actually a lot of people. They did get the shot because they felt up against the wall. I got to keep my job. And they had a very bad reaction to it. And they're like, I'm not, I did it once. I'm not doing it again. So there's still fallout from this. We just had a shit ton of national guardsmen released from service for refusal. I mean, that just happened like last week or this week. So what would you tell people that are going through this? Yeah, goodness, what a, what a big story. Well, this is such a, you know, a personal decision for everybody. And, and, um, but I can tell you guys, forget, forget the, the Fauci ouchie, right? Just forget this for a moment because that was just a catalyst. That was just what they used at that particular moment. As long as we live our lives slaves, we, we live, in my opinion, in the most, the, the worst case of slavery in world history. They get you at every corner with credit cards, easy credit, right? I mean, all of these, these things that they've convinced you, you know, or the American dream, the mortgage, the illusion of equity, you know, which is so funny to me. But anyway, my, my advice I think I would give to people is just put one foot in front of the other. You can do it. You know, I get a lot of people who comment to me, it must be nice to have money to do things like that. What they don't know is I spent the last 20 years of my life not going to Disney World, not going to Starbucks, not going to movie. Jack, the last movie I seen in a movie theater was 300. Oh, wow. That's a while. Okay, okay so I, it's been a while. So I saved my money. I worked hard. You know, I did those things so that someday I could pull the trigger. And I just pulled the trigger. So you can do this. You just have to make it a priority to go do it. Is it more important than Starbucks? Is it more important than Gucci? Is it more important than those things? If it is, you'll do it. We all make times for the things that we all make time for the things that are most important to us. Make it a priority and you'll accomplish your goal. Guaranteed. You know, and I'll just say my number one indicator that a person is going to be broke their entire life is any form of must be nice. (laughs) Any form of must be nice, that person has a poverty mindset. When I see somebody that has something I'd like to have and I don't have enough resources to have it yet, my first thought is good for them. Yeah. And the the whole woke crowd is broke because that's the, the, the place they come from. Well, that must be nice. I remember when my wife was still working, she was a nurse. She worked at a hospital. And uh, she saved a lot of money just by not buying lunch at the hospital cafeteria, which yep. was garbage food anyway. Yep. And one night I made steak for dinner and, you know, she never finishes a whole steak. So she takes her half steak and some side stuff and all. And she goes into the office and the other girls go downstairs to the cafeteria and buy food. And, you know, they're spending five to ten dollars on complete garbage. They bring it upstairs and they all sit down at a little break table together the one girl says to her, wow, you must be doing really good if Jack can afford to buy food like that for you. Mm-hmm. Now, she was eating steak, and it was much better than what they were eating. But the cost of the food in front of her was less than the cost of the food that these people were eating yep. and kind of sniding about, well, you you know, you all must be doing better than we are. Yep. And so they could have been doing the same thing and actually have more money at the end of the month. But that required like effort and thought and right. work and, you know, not the convenience of just grabbing garbage on the fly and eating, you know, addictive carbohydrates. Yep. And that mindset, I think, is what keeps so many people from achieving this. Mm-hmm. And the other side that really like I just want to say have some patience 
you have these people that are like 19, 20 years old and, and they're wanting the life that, that people like yourself or myself or many members of our community have built. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we didn't just go and it no. was there. Even when you have the money, you don't just go and no. it's there. There's a timeline and a lot of the stuff like you were able to do it because you did it yourself. That saves a ton of money. It's not as convenient as, as giving an architect some blueprints, mm-hmm. right? But, but it, it saves a ton of money, but it's also, if you're going to live this way, when shit breaks, you want to know how to fix it. If you built the thing, you know how to fix it. And okay. I think that's something people need to understand. Like you have to phase into these, this type of lifestyle. Yeah. And it's, it's a ton of work. And I tell people all the time, I'm the plumber. I'm the electrician. You know, I'm the solar guy. I'm the, you know, water guy. I'm the sewer guy. I'm everything. And if, if something goes wrong, there's nobody to call. I am it. But, yeah. but Jack, I'm free. I mean, I'm You're all free. I'm You're free to work your ass off every day. Yes, <laughs> yes almost. Well, you know, but you, I think a lot of what we do, we enjoy too. I don't enjoy it so much this time of year. I get no. so done uh, right now. It's unbelievable how hot it is. But other than, usually it's July and August that I hate being here. This year it's been June and July and it will be August. But yeah. otherwise, I love being out there and getting things done. Yeah. I mean, like, it's... It is it is an incredibly liberating lifestyle. People say, well, where are you going to retire? I've been asked that a little bit lately since I've been doing it so long, and I guess it's because I get grayer and grayer, but I am. This is what retirement looks like for me. I mean, there may come you know some year where I decide I'm doing three shows a week instead of five or something, but right now, I honestly, if I wasn't doing all the homesteading stuff and the podcasting, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> Right. I would, yeah, I would. I would be, when we have, sometimes on weekends, I'm like, damn, I'm glad it's a weekend. And by Sunday, I'm like, I, I, I need to get back to work, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think there is something in having something productive to do every day. And I think that's another reason so many people in our society are miserable. They don't feel productive. They don't feel that what they do really matters. And a lot of times in their jobs, they're not wrong. Like, if you can go on vacation for two weeks, and and you come back to your job and no one missed you not being there. How important are you really to what's going on? And that's just inside your office space, right? So then the other thing is if your company wasn't there, would the world care? Like is what the company doing really mattering to the world? And a lot of times it's not either. And I think people in their hearts, they know that. So even when they're they're active, they're not productive. And I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that's a system we've built. Everybody must be employed. That's that's our mentality, 100% employment. And my grandparents did not live in that world. You know, my grandmother did work a few times throughout her life because they needed extra money, but it was always seen as a temporary thing. She worked during World War II. Many women went to work during World War II, but as soon as it ended, it was over. And my grandfather, on a, on a coal miner's and carpenter's salary, raised three boys and sent the the one that wanted to go to college, could have done it with the other two if they had wanted to, and they never wanted for anything. Mm-hmm. And now if you try to run a one-income household, I'm not saying it can't be done because plenty of people do it, mm-hmm. but it's a hell of a lot harder than it was. You know, yeah, well, I think the art to having a one-income household is you got to fight the money on the backside, like we were talking yep. about earlier. If you yeah. if you have if you have a million dollar house and a you know four thousand dollar mortgage payment on a you know two hundred thousand dollar income and three car payments because you got to have the Range Rover and you got to have this and you got to have that and the 
you know, you owe the, the furniture place money because you had to buy the new refrigerator and they had to have the new couches and you're never going to get ahead. Never. Yeah. You, have to, you have to fight the argument on the backside. You know, something you said earlier too that, that piqued my interest, Jack, you know, part of it for me is I enjoy the challenge, you know, when, and I'll give you an example, my water system. So I have a hundred foot deep well that has a 1750 gallon uh, cistern in it. Then I also have 7,700 gallons of rain storage. And then I also have my big pond and I can pump all three of those to anywhere I want in my house. I'm not a plumber. What I had to do is learn it. I had to go through it and say, okay, I want to be able to use all these multiple sources anywhere I want to use them. How do I do it? YouTube, reading, you know, <laughs> just figuring it out. And I, I actually enjoy that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I think I enjoy the challenge across the board. Gaming, how can I spend less money? Right. right. Gaming, how yeah. can I make this thing that I'm doing pay for itself? Yeah. You know, like we do with the aquatics. Every once in a while, we sell a goldfish. Love you can sell a goldfish to a stupid yuppie on Craigslist, sorry yuppies, for 50 bucks. Yeah. We call them Asian heirloom carp. Well, $50 feeds that fish system for a year. Yeah. Right? I mean, stuff like that. Like, just how can I make this work? One of my buddies, he put in, he's doing the urban homesteading thing. Mm-hmm. And he's got a backyard with a pool and he turned into a pond and stuff like that. He has an in, indoor aviary. And he has little quails running around for eggs on the floor of the aviary. He's got tropical plants and he sells tropical plants. He has, a, I think they're called Goodian, Goodian finches. They're just gorgeous little birds. Mm-hmm. Well, a pair of those sell for like $200. Ooh. So he's selling those into the pet trade, right? I mean, like there's, there is so many ways to game that system. Like, yeah. and you're not paying income tax on a dozen hundred dollar no pairs of uh, $200 pairs of finches a year, that's, that's cash money or that's, you know, that's, it's crypto. It's something it's, it's me, you and the fence post money. And those, and people say, you know, you, people will get on me. They'll say like, you worry about shit too much with money. Like when I talk about, you know, analyzing something as stupid as a garden hose and total cost of ownership in it and saying, well, by buying this hose over the life cycle, it saved me $10. Like that's ten. You put that effort in to figure it out ten dollars, but it's doing that over and over. How many ten dollars, five dollars, hundred dollars, fifty dollars went into the long term building of an empire? I guess you know your your own little personal empire versus went out to some Chinese chop shop in in Hong Kong or whatever. Right. Yeah, you know, I think uh, getting those side hustles. I don't know if that's the right word to use or not, but I think it is. Yeah, I think so. You know, getting in all of those, as many of those as you can get, you know, like you talked earlier about tiny homes. Yes. Which Jack, I think is a fabulous idea. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. I think you can make great money doing it, but get a side hustle. I agree with that. You know, and the tiny home thing, we're, we're looking right now. My son is considering building on our property. And if he mm-hmm. does that, that won't happen. I don't think he's going to do it. Um, and we're looking at putting in two or three in our, our West pasture. Yep. And Airbnb in them. And yep. the way I looked at it is, do I want to live in a tiny home long term? Absolutely not. Yep. Do I like the idea of using one when I'm on vacation or for camping without camping? You know, yep. the ultimate glam. I love it. I, I don't want to live in a tiny home for the rest of my life. You don't either. Or you would have built one instead of a great right. big house. Right? right. But they are excellent for short term stays. And then yep. I have this cash flow 
And that will be above board cash flow. But there's, I look at the cost of running Airbnb, uh, and the tax on it as an insurance, uh, product. I'm paying an insurance premium to know that I can call my buddy who's a deputy sheriff and say, this guy won't leave. And in 15 minutes, he'll go over the fence by his neck. Right. Right. So I'm willing to do that because if I do it, you know, fence post money, now I got a tenant and that can be a squatter and that can be a problem. Yeah. And so I think we have to all be smart about, like, I always say with the Agora solution stuff, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like being a, a nice guy mobster. Remember the mob movies? They always say, like, I got a legitimate business, right? Like you have a legitimate business and then you have your fence post money. And then that way the whole thing works better. Yeah, I think you know, where do I put it? Where do I put this income stream? Do I put it in my Gores thing that doesn't? Have, by the way, uh, the, the agents that are listening to me, I, I don't have any of those. Just ideas, it's informational right. purposes only, right? <laughs> but which column does this thing go in? You, you know, use some thought in it. Yeah, well, I think there's all kinds of cool things you could do with that. You know, and I think because you live on a, you know, if you live on a farm, right? There's all kinds of great deductions that come out of the farm. I think you can really wrap that up in there and make a nice little package, make some good passive income that would go on forever, you know, pretty much. I think that's just a fabulous idea. Absolutely fabulous. And it's underlying equity on the property too. You yep. know, that's, that's, that's the thing people don't realize that you put in two or three tiny homes. If you ever decide to sell that property, it's going to sell for more money. If you ever decide to yep. leverage that property, if you're comfortable with debt, um, yep. you can, you can leverage it. And you can take the same amount of money with better terms because the underlying equity is higher. Mm-hmm. So it's not oh, so you can go borrow 100% against your property. I think that's dumb. But if you needed 50 grand, you right. can get the 50 grand on better terms if the property's worth 800,000 instead of 400,000. Right. You know? And there may be, there may be times where like, people ask me when I'm okay with debt. Well, when I'm developing another income generating property, I'm okay with debt. Right. I'm okay with using the bank's money to put in three more on some piece of land that I just bought with their money. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, people ask me about debt all the time and just because I come from that world. You know, I don't have any debt today, but yeah. and I tell people all the time, the one thing I would absolutely go into debt over again is land. Yeah. I would absolutely yeah. do it. Yeah. I, I, I believe that debt works best on appreciating assets, and there's a lot of ways to use yeah. it properly. and. Yeah. You know, you, the, the thing is, you, if you leverage it on land that you're developing that you wouldn't have had, and if you collateralize the land and you lose the land, you lost the thing you didn't have. Right. Right. So, I mean, that, that makes a lot more sense. It's, when I get on people for debt, it's people going out and buying a dadgone depreciating thing like a television right. set in a depreciating world like consumer electronics with a credit card. That is not the way we do things around here. That is, no. When I say debt is cancer, that's what I mean, and that's what so many people are doing. Yeah. Um, what about let, – let's take some questions from the audience here. I got like four – eight of them starred, uh, some good ones too. K-Bonk says, if you had to do off-grid again, what would you invest in first, and what would be your last system investment? And I'll just add to it. Would it be any? Are you completely satisfied with what you did, or would it you maybe be a little different this time around? Yeah, you know the one thing, um, and I talked about this in one of my other videos a little bit. I would have done energy probably quicker um, than I than I did now. The other thing is I built my home in a series of four pods. So I put the first pod up; it was livable before I built the second pod, and then I put the third pod up, and then I'm in the middle of finishing the fourth pod now. Um, I might have just went ahead and done it all in one, (laughs) you know. But for me, I was trying to do it without borrowing money. So I was bankrolling it along the way, 
which is yeah. part of the reason, you know, why, why I did it that way. Um, you know, the other thing was I, when I had the well guys out here, I'd have loved to have dug another well. You know, I've got one now, but they're already out here and I don't know what it's like where you live, but to get, get them back out here now would be a year wait. I mean, it's just, it's almost, you can't do it. So I'd have reordered it a little bit, but I'm pretty happy with where we're at. I mean, we are living the dream of living off grid and, you know, I, I'm not tied to any kind of services. You know, I get to do it all for myself and it's, it's real exciting. Yeah. I think about putting a second well in all the time. Right now I'm just trying to keep, I'm trying to keep native trees alive. That's how bad yeah. our drought is this year. And my well can't move enough water. Yeah. To, that's to, why we put, we dug a big uh, pond um, yeah. last year and that's part of the reason why we did it. And I, I piped uh, pipes down in the bottom of it. it's 21 feet deep. It's two acres. Yeah. So that I can pull water out of that pond at any time I want to, to go anywhere I want it to go on my property. And, um, yes, I, I would encourage I envy you your hole full of water. I envy your hole full of water. I really do. Like I need, I would need dynamite to do it here. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the first things I say is do security of water, right? Like when we look at permaculture design, water access structure, Mm -hmm. that's, that is your first three things. And then you take your strategy and you put it with those three things Mm -hmm. and you design an entire property uh, based on that simple philosophy and water is, you know, what lives without water? And the answer is nothing. 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 When people say drought-proof tree, that's only because that tree can drive its roots 30 feet in the soil. Right. There's water down there somewhere right. that it's tying into. Um, Karen says, I have been unsubbed from several pages, and yours was one of them. I'm not sure if she's talking to you or me, but um, I, I hate hearing that. It's, it's a ridiculous, nonsensical game. Mm-hmm. I mean... It, it's 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 a disservice to the content creator that YouTube cons- claims to care so much about. I'm sure you started to notice all the little tips they give you in your create creator studio and ways you can do better and all. And then they turn around and do crap like that. It's a disservice to the customer or the who is the consumer because they've clearly said, "I want to see this." Um, Ron says, "What side hustles do you do for extra income on an off grid homestead?" Yeah, so um, because of my career, I kind of have a weird um, specialty, you know, in startup companies. And so I get a chance to work for many of them along the way that just use me as a consultant to set up, let's say, a you know, a Reg D private stock offering or something like that, right? So that gives me a, l- a little bit of income. The other thing is I love building things. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, river tables and, you know, some of that kind of stuff. I have a, my own complete wood shop. Um, I built a 40 by 60 shop that some of it's wood shop, some of it's mechanic shop. So we get to sell a few of those out there. But I, this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people. I don't sell any produce off my farm. Doesn't sound no. crazy to me. Doesn't sound crazy to me at all. No, I, we use it, you know, yeah. the eggs, just an example of the eggs. So we eat as many as we can eat, but we can't eat as many as we, I mean, we get so many. So it's dog food. It's, yeah. you know, it's giving it back to the animals. And so um, the good news is I was very smart with my money for the majority of my life. And I don't have to work, at least for now. We'll see what happens. But I do have side hustles in that I stay in my um, consulting career with startup companies. I'm great at raising money. I've been doing it my whole life. And so that's kind of how I bring extra money in. Um, but I don't sell anything off the homestead. The only thing we sell here is the eggs from the ducks. Yep. And we do that because we're now getting, for new customers, we're charging $12 a dozen and nobody yeah. complains. So a dollar an egg, I'll sell the egg. Yeah. If I can't get that, and the dogs still eat a lot of eggs. The dogs will eat. <laughs> I, I, I'll eat a few of the Bantam chicken eggs because I like the way they do it. A yep. cool little egg because when you do them sunny side up, you actually can 
get them completely the whites cooked without overcooking the yolk because they're so little. But they eat a ton of those, and I don't even cook them. I just throw them shell and all in the dog bowl broken, and then they eat everything. Like, there is value in not buying dog food, too, and the dogs are healthier eating pastured eggs than they are eating freaking old Roy Kibble or whatever, you know. And I think the, the whole with, thing with side hustles is it's really very individual. You need to look at what assets do I have that I'm not capitalizing on mm-hmm. and how could I be? And seeing what other people do is a great way to get ideas, but you may not make any money selling duck eggs. The reason I make money selling duck eggs is because I'm a professional marketer and I can actually market the value that I have, right? Um, and you, if you live in a rural community, you're probably not going to have the clientele that I do. Correct. By being urban rural fringe in a metroplex with 7 right. million people, all yeah. I need is one thin sliver of yuppie and health conscious and all those and like uh, ethnic segments as well. Like if, my, if we have extra duck eggs, when my wife gets her nails done, it's all Oriental girls in the in the in the nail place. Mm-hmm. She like looks like a drug dealer. She's in the trunk stealing <laughs> eggs, right? And uh, the other day she went and got her nails done, and we don't have any surplus right now. And they were all like, "Where's the eggs?" Like they were upset about it. Right? So if you have the right avenue, then selling something off your property makes sense. If you live in in in, well, I think you said Northeast Kansas, right? Yeah. You're probably not going to make any money selling eggs. Everybody that wants fresh eggs has chickens, right? Wouldn't you say that's probably the case? Like, if you want to sell chicken eggs here, good luck. Right. It's, it's not happening. There's yeah. a place down the road. It's like a little country store. They sell eggs for a dollar a dozen. Yeah. They're all local. And I don't. I think they end up throwing a ton of them away. Yeah. As cheap as they are, I've thought about buying them for dog food so that we could sell our premium product and not have to worry about feeding our dogs. Yeah. I mean, a dollar a dozen, I can go in there and five bucks. Yeah. And buy six the dogs. Jack, where I live, there's somebody um, with chickens, I mean, everywhere. There was yeah. sheep, uh, cows, pigs. I mean, th- there's a cattle farmer everywhere around me. I mean, so it's just not yeah. not a lot of call for it for where I'm at. So DIY Honda's long-term planting a fruit tree will beat the S&P hands down. Um, I don't even think that's a hard case to make. I don't you think know, I what, what, agree with him. You know, what, so let's say you can take it to uh, the suburbs. Uh, Mary Jo goes out and goes to Home Depot and buys the, the most expensive $50 fruit tree she can get, puts two in the front yard or two in the backyard, one in the front yard. So she's got 150 bucks in it. Ten years later, how much food is that produced? Yeah. And what's the value of that food? And when she sells that house, what premium does she get as a seller with two mature or three mature fruit trees on the property? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, there's, the only limit to that is how much space you have and how much you can plant and how much you can do with what you harvest. Yeah. But on a one-to-one, you know, what would your $150 do for you? There is no stock. on. You could have bought freaking Tesla when it was first introduced and you, you didn't make that ROI. Yeah. I think that's a good argument. Yeah. Uh, the Hiller says, does he consider anything he does permaculture? I'm sure he's talking about you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not this – long time pro homesteader. I'm a pro yeah. who started homesteading, you know, four years ago. And so we're learning this a lot, but I, I, I don't know that I would use the word permaculture. You know, I think that everything like I'm creating this perfect um, ecology, right. That goes, everything's dependent upon everything else. And if that's permaculture, then yeah, I would consider it permaculture. But you know, I watch guys like Billy Bond 
Yeah. Right? And I watch Danny at Deep South Homesteading and, and I've been on both of their shows and, and I'm learning this as I go. You know, my wife's got a food forest, you know, swells, all of those things. We're growing them every year. Um, but I don't know that I would say that I completely understand permaculture. <laughs> so, I don't think you have to completely understand it to do it. I mean, I would look at it from this way. Are you taking responsibility for your yourself and that of your children? You bet. Okay. That's are what you're doing. Is it harming people? Nope. Okay. Is it harming the earth? Nope. Okay. Are you returning your surplus back to your your yep. system? Yeah. You're doing permaculture. Yeah, that, that's 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 the test right there. If we start out with the prime directive and the ethics, then everything else is techniques and tactics. Yeah. And those techniques and tactics are then employed at, if you're doing it properly from a design science level to the aim of a strategy, which I think is exact. You have a strategy. Mm-hmm. So when you this is where people get in trouble with it, like you mentioned swales in a food forest. Should you do swales in the food forest? Does it match your strategy? Is it the right tactic and technique for your strategy? If it is, then you should do it. It's when people go to like the wardrobe of permaculture and mm-hmm. pick out a shirt that is a swale and right. implement it with no connection to the rest of the system. Right. And maybe they're in a place where it wasn't, it wasn't the best. This choice doesn't really matter. If it wasn't a good choice, mm-hmm. it might have been a completely wrong choice. Right right for what you're doing or maybe you directed the water out of your swell in your basement that would be a bad <laughs> right like so i think i would consider everything that you're doing permaculture right down to the financial aspects of it yeah um so there you go i don't think you need someone to certify you to be doing permaculture that's like saying you know somebody is, is a martial artist well what belt do they have i don't care um, right. adventure says people don't want to work to increase the size of your shovel, as Dave Ramsey likes to put it. Maybe it can't be done working at Starbucks, but what are you, what are you doing to change it? I don't think he's asking us what we are. I think he's making that as a general statement. Yeah. And I think that's the truth that everybody has something they could be doing. I've had people tell me I don't make that much money at work. And, you know, you find out, well, what do you, I have a full-time job, so you work 40 hours a week. Yeah, well, I was 20 years old. It was normal to work 80. Right. And I'm like, and we didn't have, you know, um, Uber or Uber Eats or DoorDash or any of this other gig economy shit. And the last time I checked, a lot of people ordered their food, for instance, after mm-hmm. regular work hours. Um, one of the guys in the chat with us today, uh, Brian from uh, Washington, uh, he's constantly doing those type of side hustles and he doesn't go out and say like today I'm going to go do a bunch of Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever. Mm-hmm. He just keeps it on all the time when he's driving around. And when one pops up that's in his area, that's a good yeah. one. He's going to make good awesome. money on it. He does that one. And he that's might hard. put several hundred dollars extra on any given week into his pocket. And maybe another week he probably doesn't do any. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you're not doing that and you're bitching about the inflow, I, I don't want to hear you, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear you. Now, you, you might say you live somewhere where it's not doable. Maybe you do, but most people bitch and don't. Like, and yeah, but there's, say, there's always something you can do. Always. There's always something. I don't care you where you live. About that, right? Yeah. And that's what happens. You give them an idea, and because that one idea won't work, then they write off everything, you know? Um, when you sell fish or whatever, do you use a cash transaction? Yeah, they're asking me now. Yeah, if you're going to buy a $50 goldfish from me off Craigslist or a couple hundred bucks for a koi, we're going to do that in cash or I'm not going to do it. You can't come up with $50 in cash. You probably don't qualify to 
come bother me anyway. So I always, I put, when I do it on Craigslist with the fish, I put cash only. And I just don't care. It's the other thing. Like, so do you need to sell something? If you need to sell something, you need to be open in your payment methods, right? If you just like the idea of selling something and you're willing to wait for a buyer, then you can specify specifically. Of course, I would take Bitcoin on it as well. I've never had anybody offer to buy fish for Bitcoin, but maybe I should put one up. Only Bitcoin accepted and just see what happens. You should. I don't care if you don't buy it. I have one guy, he texted me through the, uh, the Craigslist thing and said, well, I'm not buying it if you won't take credit card or stuff. I think it was PayPal. I'm like, well, then you're not buying it. And people are shocked when you tell them no. And that dude ended up buying a fish from me. <laughs> it was funny. Um, next up came up, top three things to look for mm. when buying land. That sounds like a whole show topic, but what, what can oh, you say Oh, my goodness. That? Yeah, so for me, um, the first thing is, I think before you get to the top three things, I think you have to do a threat and needs analysis. And if I have a video along one of my earlier videos that talk about how we found our land, how I took the threats around me and then the needs that I wanted in order to find my land. And I think they're, they're talking about needs. So I think the first thing I would do, and to allude to what you talked about earlier, Jack, is water. You know, what does the terror of the land look like? What does the water resources around you look like? Um, you guys, I have three ponds on my land now, and I'd love to have four. Yeah, I just think it's that important. Um, obviously, soil is going to be a big one, too. You know, here, I live in Kansas, and if you guys know history, you know the famous Dust Bowls. So the open areas of land, you know, really got beaten on the topsoil. The wooded areas are pretty good soil. And yeah. so I would obviously say land would be there, too. But I think the third and the thing I think that's overlooked a lot is community. I'm a big believer in community. We do all kinds of things for community. And so part of the reason I picked the land that I had is because I'm completely surrounded by preppers and homesteaders in every direction for a hundred miles. So I think I'd put the water, actually the dirt itself, you know, the top of soil and community yeah. pretty much on the top of my three. Yeah. Water access structure. I mean, I'm, I'm back to, there's my top three things. What's the water situation like? What's the accessibility of the land based on what I want to do with it? And what are the structures or where could structures go? That, that's the lens. And, and I ended up compromising. I knew the problems I would have with this property here, but we needed to live somewhere in this vicinity. And this was the, we got a hell of a deal. I mean, when I tell people I pay 200000 for this place, they just look at it and they, what? Like, I have outbuildings on it that are worth almost what I paid for the whole property. It's, yeah. it's insane, right? So I compromise on it. But if I do any other property development and we're thinking of doing it here first to get our feet wet, uh, I will not put in a property, especially a property I can't be on every day, without the ability to hold water in a pond. I will not do it. I think I agree with you 100%. That is like one of the most important things you can do. And I'm starting to look at this much more from a security aspect, too. Uh, would you rather have that tube in the ground bunker we talked about or have multiple small house community style properties that have cash flow in good times but can serve as bug out locations and maybe places for family members who are not as switched on as we are? Because I've already told them, no, you're not coming here. Because mm-hmm. I've had people, well, I know where I'm going. No, mm-hmm. you're completely unprepared. You are a liability. You are not an mm-hmm. asset. You're not in shape. You don't know how to do anything. Yep. You don't have any reserves whatsoever, food or supplies. No, you're not coming here. And I'm hoping this will give you the impetus to do something, and it hasn't. But, you know, I might let them stay in my Airbnb for a few days. You know? yeah. 
I think that's a great idea, Jack. I do. I I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you put them close to like, uh, things that are attractive, but not heavily populated, like state parks and stuff like that. That's, that's kind of our long-term plan with that. We think that's a much easier thing than just buying a block of land and turning it into your own little bug out location Mm -hmm. because it doesn't produce anything, man. Right. Right. It doesn't produce anything. Anyway, man, I've enjoyed talking to you. Tell people how they can learn more about what you're doing. Uh, I'll try to get your YouTube channel link up again in the chat for you while we're doing that. And I will make sure that it is in the show notes today as well. Yeah, so the YouTube channel is Life Done Free. So you can find it there. We also have a Facebook page, Life Done Free. Um, again, we're working on a website to bring the community together, but it's still in development. So we're not quite there yet. Um, I have some um, other you know channels who have said, hey, we'd love to be part of that. And so we're working on that. But as far as getting a hold of me, um, again, YouTube and Facebook are really what we do. And, um, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from anybody and I, I try to be pretty active in there. So. Right. Well, like I said, I'll make sure it's in the, uh, in the podcast notes. And if, of course, if you guys look down below the video in the notes, I know nobody on YouTube ever reads anything. That's a mistake. Creators put text in there for a reason to give you additional information. Uh, and that's not just for this. That's like sometimes when you put together a playlist and somebody finds one video, there might be a whole playlist and it might be in there. So you should start reading it it's right there on your app. You hit a little button, the text shows up. But if you do it right now and you try to go to the podcast page right now and we're watching it live, guess what? It won't be there. You know why? We're not done yet. We're almost done. Uh, and, and, and we are indeed wrapping it up. Tag, this was a great interview. I really enjoyed talking to you. I hope you get a lot of subscribers from this uh, on your YouTube and a lot of interaction with the community. And uh, guys, follow them. Tag, again, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, hey, I, I, Jack, it was an honor being here. Like I said, I've been listening to you for years, so it's kind of neat, you know, kind of talking to the Godfather. So I appreciate it, and thank you for having me on. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, that was a great discussion. I really do advise you guys to check out his YouTube channel. Again, it's called Life Done Free. But you don't have to remember that. All you got to do is get by the survivalpodcast.com and, and look at episode number 3124. And uh, all the links to everything will be there like it is for every episode. Here at the end, let me remind you guys that you can always help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do just by doing your online shopping, starting out at tspaz.com. You can see all the items I've reviewed over the years. You know I own them, I used them, I spent my money on them, and i do it again or they wouldn't be there. But no matter what you buy, if you start out there, you help us out in the work that we do. And the other thing I wanted to remind you about is the Member Support Brigade. I don't push it as hard as I used to, and I probably should push it more. I started the Member Support Brigade when I decided I wanted to monetize this podcast and be able to do this every day of my life for as long as I felt like doing it. Now it's been 14 years I've been doing it. And I did it because I needed a value proposition to offer because I had people in this audience when I started out. I mean, I was only in it like six months, and people were wanting to send me money. Like, hey, we just appreciate what you do. We want to send you some money. And I always felt like that was more like PBS, right? Like, you you contribute $100, we'll send you a coffee cup. And I wanted to be able to... Sell a product that even if you decide you didn't like me anymore, you might keep it anyway because it was so advantageous to have it. So what I did, I reached out to all the sponsors I had already booked at the time and sold out all my sponsorships. And I brought on like 10, 10 of the 12 into MSB uh, that wanted to do it and offer discounts that, that you couldn't get anywhere else. And I, since then, I've built that to about 70 vendors. And, I mean, when you put your seed orders in at the beginning of the year, you should be using your MSB vendors because they're great companies and they save you money. Uh, if you use CBD products, I've got great CBD vendors. 
when if you're going to order, you know, from ButcherBox, you get ten dollars off every order. That's one hundred twenty dollars a year on a fifty dollar membership. I also do take Bitcoin crypto. And uh, the only way you find out the special sale I do for that is to, when you go through the order, say you want to pay it, and I'll get an email, and then you'll get an email from me, and you'll find out that. And uh, also, uh, anybody that's a law enforcement, uh, mili- prior or former military, first responders, that's firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, things like that, all you guys do qualify for a discount on an already great priced product. All you have to do is send me an email with TSPC discount in the subject line, And I'll respond to you. I don't need your. I, I do that on the honor system. I don't need any proof of anything. Just tell me a little bit about you. Know, one sentence. I was a, you know, I was in the military or I'm a sheriff's deputy or I'm a retired this. Or, and you don't have to be retired. Just prior service or active duty. It doesn't matter. Uh, and I even throw in Peace Corps on that because I really appreciate the work the Peace Corps has been doing around the world for a long time. With that, we have wrapped things up yet again. Um, Tomorrow you're going to get an expert counsel show like you usually get on Thursday. It is probably the case that Friday is going to be a rewind episode. And that's because Dorothy's getting her new puppy. And Joel and his wife Wendy are going to be here from Fortress K9. And uh, it was a barter deal. And the barter deal entailed we get the dog and he gets my time consulting for his business while he's here. Plus he gets a fantastic stay. Uh, I'm going to cook for them. We're going to take them out to some cool places and stuff like that. So I want to honor my side of the barter deal. I hate giving you a rewind after I was just on vacation for 10 days, but I think it's the right thing to do. So that's what we're going to do for Friday. I'm also going to be, for those of you that tune into the Bitcoin breakout, I'm going to be taking some of the episodes of TSP that were really Bitcoin-centric, that were before I started doing it. I'm going to be moving them over there. And I'm hoping today or tomorrow to have the Adam Curry interview put over there on, on Bitcoin Breakout. And uh, if you like that one when it came out, you might want to listen again. That one was so deep. And Adam's such an amazing guy. And I'd say, even if you're not into Bitcoin, you know, we talk about the value for value. But we talk a lot about just podcasting and the history of podcasting. If you enjoy podcasting today, and if you listen to the show, you probably do. And I'm sure you listen to other shows. There is one man to thank for it, the podfather himself, Adam Curry. So we'll be getting that up over on the Bitcoin breakout side soon, and I will be back tomorrow with the Expert Council Show. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. American way Dollar down A dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way To do this Let me show you A better way 